0: Debating the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. Friday face-off with Quinnovic, Wellington's property management experts. Call oh eight hundred Quinnovic. It's Friday.
1: Then, it's Sunday, Sunday, It's
0: Friday. Then, seven minutes it's past Sunday, eleven. Sunday, Friday, Friday face-off. face-off. Yes. Labour candidate for the Rongotai Electric Fleur for Simon's ex Wellington City Council. Current lawyer. How are you? Welcome. Thank you, Nick. Very well. The worst keeps secret, and New Zealand's out.
1: Oh look, there had to be a process where Labour Party oh, members could put themselves geez. forward, and I'm I'm really
0: pleased to have the support. I've gone to sleep already. <laughs> you put me to sleep. Why well, couldn't you just said, "Yeah, sorry, Nick, I would have told you, but I wasn't allowed to." Oh,
1: well, that, the reality is, I did need to see if anyone else wanted to put their name forward, and I really respect the ability for any Labor member to do that. So, but well, obviously, I'm really pleased to now be confirmed as Labor's candidate in Rongotai, and
0: as a constituent uh, and a voter, so am I. How's Thanks, that, Nick? I, that wasn't giving you my uh, sort of sign off, was it? Someone that wouldn't have wanted to stand uh, in your places, New Zealand Taxpayer Union Chief Executive, an outspoken media man, Jordan Williams. Good morning and welcome. Uh, Now, I know you've done this show with Heather before, but it's the first time me and you have met and the first time we've gone together. It's the first
2: time I've seen these wonderful studios as we look out on the beautiful pitch here at Sky Stadium. And uh, it's Good to be here, Nick. And to the contrary, I have a lot of time for the MP you'll likely be replacing out at Rangatai. Uh And so t- to the contrary, I think that's a very good um, seat to go into. Congratulations. I didn't know you got the selection.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Jordan.
2: Oh, you don't listen to the show enough.
0: Um, <laughs> are you talking about Paul Eagle? Yeah, hey, yeah. You've got a lot of time for Paul I Eagle.
2: do. Paul is a, is a, is a very decent um, guy, and I think that uh, it... I did even know the internal politics of a of a party, even a small party. Um, there's a lot. It's not for. Outs- I know that outsiders do a very good, a poor job rather, commentating on it. But I do think it's a shame um, that he's leaving politics and having not been used to his full potential. There you go. Great. I want to start the show
0: by the teachers' strike because we just started talking about it, and I knew that there would be a little bit of a, a comment from Fleur. We've chatted uh, about the teachers going on strike next week. Uh, it'll shut shut down schools across the country. Fleur, I know you're not going to say yes to this, and I know that I'm going to get into an argument to, with you with this, but are they being selfish?
1: Look, I've taken many workers out on strike. I've run these meetings, and no worker in New Zealand that's ever I've seen ever vote for strike action does it lightly. It's a big decision to stop work, and stand up for what you think you're worth. So I just want to say to those teachers, I know they haven't taken this decision lightly.
0: Come on, Jordan, tell me what you think.
2: Well, um, I thought it was a very good job by the Labour candidate for Rangatai sort of having to have it on that one slightly above each way. But look, the, the teachers' strike, I'm not hot under the collar about, and people might expect that from taxpayers' union. I simply see this as a symptom of an incredibly high inflationary environment where people across all um, industries are struggling to pay the groceries. And this is just, we're seeing the same in the UK. You know, next is transport. They're a little bit more unionised than than we are, I think, at least in the um, uh, across particularly rail and transport there, where they've had enormous levels of strife. And going to get worse. And, and probably going to get worse. And it's not going to get better until you tackle that inflation. So you see this is a symptom rather than... Something but, to get angry about. Well,
0: surely in an election year, it's something, Fleur, that the government could do something about. If they aren't, you know, if they are struggling to put food on the table, these young teachers, and we talked briefly before we went to air that it starts on a very really low ebb, so that's going to prevent people from going into the job because they've got to start somewhere. So surely the government could be doing more about it.
1: Yeah, look, there has been huge investment in education and it was run down by the previous government. The Labor government has put a lot of money into education. And I think you'll see that the strike, when you hear from the teacher unions, and I've spoken to some of their officials, that the strike isn't just about money, Teachers are professionals. They're worried about things like class sizes. They want to see more non-contact time so they can get the professional development and support and, and chance to think about their job that they need to be effective teachers for us.
0: Jordan, will anything come out of this?
2: Well, I, look across all of the these sectors, the government's going to have to um, you know have to deal with this you know because they have to attract people. We're seeing the results in health. You know, because, the you know, the simple fact is that we're poorer than Australia and, as a result, have lower wages. As a result, we're seeing a lot of New Zealanders go over there. That's actually what gets me up in the morning. You know, I'm driven. I want New Zealand to be at least as well off as Australia. It's why I set up the Taxpayers Union. But, that the yes, the government's going to have to deal with it. Hawke's Bay makes that harder.
0: Yes. So that's the well, that's just Hawke's way. Bay, Gisborne. It's the
2: reality. Yeah, that's mm. the, the reality of the situation. And really interesting you bring up the class sizes. I would put a lot of the blame at the feet of the National Party and Hickey and on the basis that, for at least my professional lifetime, there's been a real drive around reducing class sizes. The evidence suggests actually a better teacher, a higher quality, um, more uh, e- educated, um, you know, a good teacher with a class twice the size is much better in terms of outcomes than striving for class sizes. And I worry that there is a trade-off there.
1: And you do need to see that support. So the role of those teacher aides who have recently had a pay equity settlement, we know that teachers find it easier to get good educational outcomes when they have teacher aides there to support the work. But this,
0: this is where Fleur, Fleur, you and I, will have a bit of an argument because I totally agree with Jordan coming from a uh, educational background as parents. Why can't we reward the really good teachers better?
1: Well, we want every teacher to be a really good teacher because that's what every child needs. So if you start picking and rewarding some, then what are you saying to the children in the classes of other ones? What we need to do is bring the whole profession up and make sure that they have opportunities for professional development and that they get that professional, um, you know... uh, outcome from their work and that they feel good about it. And you still and haven't feel,
0: answered my question. Why can't we have... Because, yes, because you and I... We need them
1: all to be high performers. Us three
0: There's, will always the, the, say we've got a teacher that we yeah. can remember. Who's your favourite teacher? Mrs Horrocks. Who's your favourite teacher? Scott. See, there you go. It's it's simple. There were good ones in our lives. So why can't we reward them? Well,
1: The problem is that discretionary systems like performance pay tend to reward those who are best at saying how good they are or have have particular outcomes. And actually, you can't control what's happened at home for a child that comes into your classroom. So the kind of work that needs to go into those performance pay systems can never be fair. We're far better to invest in all teachers and make sure that they have professionally stimulating jobs where they're rewarded because every kid needs a good teacher.
2: You're assuming that that performance pay is centralised. I mean, if you look at... Scandinavia is often um, hailed as, you know, it's got um, a big proportion of the economy as government spending, but they're fiercely competitive in their, um, you know, not only you pay high taxes, but you get extremely good public services. And, for example, the schools there, they do reward the good teachers more. I just don't know why we wouldn't make it like any other organisation where the boss, in this case the principal, they tend to know, regardless of what you national indexes and the, the stuff coming fr- from Wellington, they know who adds the most value. Why not let them decide? And who's coaching the first
0: 15 and who's doing the arts class and who's doing the drama class but as th- well.
2: But every school is different, and, and that's that's a good thing. It's good One good. of the problems we've got at the moment was the criticism of the um, charter schools because one of them failed. they closed. Great. How many schools are failing right now and, and are that are zoned into a failing school that we don't close?
1: Well, the problem from performance pay systems is that Māori do worse off, women do worse off, because they're not as good as as good at self-promoting themselves to the principal. And what you'll also find is that teachers who are having trouble, who don't think that their maths teaching, for example, is up to standard, will be too scared to say so because it'll be counted well, against that, them in performance pay.
2: That would be the case across any organisation. I think there's are separate problems that, and I don't, you know, I acknowledge that there are problems. But to to solve it with a one-size-fits-all we are clearly as I mean we are tumbling down the league tables in the OECD on education it is a the crisis we are not talking about unfortunately except for the good um, uh, uh, morning show in, in Wellington on ZB. Um, that uh, it just you know but why should education be different because it's the kids at ultimately. because pay.
1: teachers aren't motivated by getting paid more they're motivated by like, delivering good well, education
0: strife. to hundred percent 100 percent. Can I take a short break, but I I will want to say one thing. A good teacher does not have to sell themselves to the principal. They do not. This morning, Jordan, I want to start with you on this one. This morning we've discussed the complete fiasco that's our emergency department's wait time figures have just been found to be completely wrong with 37 of our hospitals increasing since wait times since 2017. We've also spent a massive amount on recruitment five hundred thousand dollars to be exact with glossy uh, with three commercials. People, uh, three, yes, we did get three. Well, we got well. three actually. Three interviews. We haven't got them. Oh. Haven't got them here yet. Only three. In- got to the f- third interview. How long should we, Jordan, be waiting for Health New Zealand to start getting this sorted out?
2: I think health is, is really scary. I, I actually used the talking point I'd written down for this was it's the crisis we're not really talking about, but I've already I've already used that on education. It's really interesting in the UK where they're facing a similar sorts of crisis in their NHS, but it's been in the media for many months. My highlight of the week would be we're finally talking about this. My partner is a paediatric intensive care nurse at Starship, and she has been telling me for six months, why is this not in the media? Um, Northland's—I can't remember which one, hospitals, ED—apparently that it's just been absolutely at crisis point where people haven't been coming to work because they have zero confidence in their uh, in their management. And she kept saying, "Jordan, why isn't this this in the media?" It finally is, and this is just scratching the surface. I can't sort of go into some of the stuff around—I I know around Starship and Auckland DHB—but um, it, thank goodness, it's here. Now, we interviewed Rob Campbell recently on on our podcast. Um, Peter Williams interviewed him. And he was saying that this Health New Zealand is going to lead to efficiencies. I call BS on that. Uh, I know, again, at Starship they have a head of nursing. They now head a, have a head of nursing Maori. And there seems to be a heck of a lot more people there and a heck of a lot more officials in Wellington. But I am not convinced we're getting better outcomes. Fleur, you're a mother, Uh Medical. When you're a mother, med- medicine's top,
0: isn't it? Health. Health is like comes before education, doesn't it? I mean, that's that's absolutely. my my humble experience, right? Have you ever really felt it as bad as it is now? Um,
1: I've been waiting in the emergency room at Wellington Hospital with my children before, um, and relatively recently. And what I would say is that what you can see from the staff is that while they are stressed and it's hard work, they are doing an incredible job to prioritise patients and make sure that people who need medical care are getting it. And I just want to commend that health workforce because you can see the professionalism and integrity that they bring to their work, yeah. and I do have confidence in them.
0: Can I tell you a story where my wife was in a private, getting a small, very small procedure done privately by an insurance company. Then When I went to pick her up after her procedure operation, The nurse saw who I was and came out, pulled me out, and I thought, oh, my God, she's going to give me some bad news. She started openly weeping and said, someone said that you're on radio. Help us. Help us. That's what she said in a private situation. It's bad.
1: There is a lot of investment coming from this government in our nursing workforce just this week, The historic pay equity settlement has been paid out to many nurses and that is so necessary because for so many years they haven't been paid what they're worth because they're a woman-dominated occupational group. And I'm really proud of this government resolving that particular pay equity claim and I know that it's led to significant amounts of back pay right into the pockets
0: of nurses this week. And they're still not happy with it, Jordan, are they? Because they got four years instead of six years back pay or something. I'm not 100% sure on the on the actual amounts, but they not still don't think it's enough.
2: No, you, you, you never would. But the, the point is that they voted and they accepted the deal. Um, it's now gone through. See, now the teachers is going to be the next round. But as I say, when you have inflation in, um, so high, this stuff is constantly going to be a pressure on the government.
0: Right, let's talk about consultants. Uh, National Party has unveiled that the uh, Family Boost Policy, which it aims to subsidise early childhood education by $75 a week for our families, uh, earning under $180,000 a year. They want to pay for the policy out of government, stop the spending on government consultants, which they're calling the gravy chain. Jordan, what does this government waste taxpayers' money on? You know that more than anyone.
2: Uh, well, for sure. I mean, the the, putting aside the consultants, which obviously has exploded. Well, let me just step back. It's probably good politics. You know, they get to spend some money. It's a dollar for uh, the target um, voting group, young families, uh, and they get to say, "Well, it's no extra money, no extra taxes, no extra borrowing because we've found the money elsewhere." What I find amazing about the consultant amount uh, increase, though, is that it goes along with an explosion in the number of bureaucrats. You have. Frontline um, public service workforce since 2017 has in, uh, has increased by 24.6%. Okay, fair enough. But the number of managers has increased by almost double, 43.4% more managers, from 5,300 odd to more than 7,500 since 2017. So how do you have both? That's my question. And my
0: question to you, Fleur, Is that it's common knowledge that we have over 20,000 government employees in Wellington earning over $100,000? That's big numbers. Why do we need consultants when we've got those big numbers on reasonably good money?
1: Look, those are big numbers, but it's really important work. And I guess when you look at the consultants, it might be good politics, Jordan, but I think it's lazy public policy. So what they've said. I don't
2: disagree with that. Yeah.
1: So what they've said is that they're going to just completely cut the consultant spending. Well, these consultants are people who are building our new infrastructure, no. they're building schools, they're Be building hospitals. You the what you'll find is that there's a bunch of one-off isolated examples and the model for these professions, like the people who are building our schools and building our hospitals, is that they're consultants. And if the government wants to get the very best expertise they can to do these one-off type projects, then they do need to... Use these consultants in these industries,
0: Jordan. Is this a waste of money?
2: Yes, it is. I've been hiring it because um, we're, we're we're growing, and I had to. Um, and I had a, a little bit of staff changes last year, and it is really amazing the extent to which I can find better talent uh, overseas for what we pay. Because anyone who's worked in and around, particularly Parliament, is being uh, being absorbed at enormous salaries into the big consultancy firms and. That's because Wellington is is, is 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 just creaming it for the PwCs, the EYs of the world. Now, yep, there might be one-off projects, but I mean, let's be frank. You know, reform of areas of public policy is business as usual. In the, the look at the huge amounts on the um, proposed merger of TVNZ, RNZ, um, three waters is just unbelievable amounts. But also a bike bridge in Auckland. Yeah, delivery of infrastructure. Well, you mentioned hospitals. Like that is a, that is BAU for the for government. I just don't see we're not you know we, we we're not sending a man to um to the moon sort of stuff, and yet more than a million dollars for each of the big consultancy firms. I think is outrageous at a time when the managers in the public service is ballooned.
1: By 40%. Yeah, look, and and I agree with aspects of that. The public service should be looking to in-house if they can. At Wellington City Council, they contracted out the parking attendant work, so giving people tickets on the street. What they found is it sent all the wrong incentives, it was more expensive, and we're far better to bring the parking attendants in-house. And you've already seen from the Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, this week, an indication that he wants to have a look at some of this stuff. They sent a message to the public service that they don't want to see these consultants, as contracting out, but what we've seen is it's still happening. And you can, I, I know that the government are looking at this.
2: And while he was Minister of State Services, it's, it's been under his watch that this has happened. Yes.
1: Well, well he's committed this week... To looking into this further and I think you will see some action there. What? He's given a message to the public service that when they can what? do things in-house, they should but it, this won't be possible in every instance. It, you can't get the in-house expertise to design and build hospitals to run big IT systems and what we saw under the previous national government is when they did contract out things like Novapay, it failed spectacularly and they had to actually set up a it. crown entity to overcome it. So I, I find it hard to believe national
2: on this well, I mean, you just said there Chris Hopkins. you know, sent a message. He sent a message um, at the beginning of COVID to freeze public service uh, pay above 100000 Demonstrably did not happen. No, sending a message simply isn't enough. Uh, we welcome that message at the time. You've got to actually have the follow through. Central
0: Park Council Flats... Fleur, I've got to come to you on the first start of this. At the bottom of Brooklyn Hill have now had to establish 24-hour security dur- uh, during only because of one gang-linked tenant that's causing absolute havoc. The woman is allegedly bringing gang members into the flats, playing loud music and leaving rubbish around the area. Other tenants are describing it as a ghetto hell. Uh, shouldn't we, Fleur, be getting more tougher on some tenants if they're actually a council tenant?
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely think we should look. They should look to evict in the circumstances. But what I would say about the City Council housing team, and I wouldn't always say this about Council. I'm not someone who has always defended the Council operations. But what, what I would say about City Housing is they take their responsibilities to tenants very seriously. And I think you can see that in the story this week. They do have 24-hour security there. They are worried about the impact of this tenant on the other tenants. And I know that that team is full of people who are genuinely concerned about the pastoral care and the lives of the people who live there. So I think the council has taken the right steps and I really hope they're not too shy about evicting this person if it comes to that.
0: Jordan, I have a, I have an issue where, where we have a Wellington City Council with their own housing uh, it's unit. It's the largest landlord. Second, 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 yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, it is the second largest landlord. And then we have... New Zealand, the government running it. Why do we have two? Surely the council just said sell out to the government and have one agency looking after social housing.
2: Um, well, I think that's that that's a, um, a historic leftover where a lot of councils have um, offloaded the housing stock into, for example, community organisations. I think that, that I don't want to beat up on Wellington City Council here either because the, the wider problem is just like a private or any... Um, uh, landlord, is it's damn hard to evict someone. The only thing that really jumped out at me in that story was a reference to the council saying we can't discriminate against gang members. Well, I'm sorry, but you can discriminate in relation to the behaviour of the tenant and look, I've come back to, um, sorry to be controversial, but there's very limited uh, availability of uh, social housing in the country, but particularly in Wellington, why shouldn't we be prioritising people who look after the property, don't cause a nuisance for others, and instead uh, the good ratepayers of Wellington have to now pay for a security guard to stand there because you've got one person who, frankly, should be evicted uh, as having these, I appreciate they might be guests and, and, and that sort of thing, causing a nuisance for everyone else. Fleur, he's right.
1: Oh I totally agree and I don't think that the legal impediments are as um as much as the council think if people are threatening and intimidating people you can evict them it is not that difficult what is more difficult is the council making the decision to do that and then taking those steps well, it seems it, lo- it seems at the moment they're trying to bring security guards and give some peace of mind to those tenants now I think it's unlikely that's a long term solution and that they will need to move to evict
0: I want to talk about Waka Kotahi while we've got you both in here. It came to to light this week that they're way behind in installing medium barriers. Now, we all know that medium barriers save lives, you know, in accidents. The Road to Zero campaign, they're supposed to deliver 1,000 kilometres, and they have instead just done 67 kilometres. That's in three years. I mean, they've got till 2030 to deliver the 1,000, but if they've only done 67 in three years, it doesn't look like it's going to do much. Jordan, Waka Kotahi, has it got its priorities all wrong? Are they spending too much on damn commercials?
2: Yeah, a- absolutely. The, we, we probably get more um, annoyed people emailing the taxpayers' union about Waka than than any other org- organisation. The thing is, is they, they've basically not done their job uh, we've got a crisis in, in the roading. You know, there's there's no argument that we've got more potholes. Uh, money has been diverted from the politicians for the Land Transport Fund um, off, out of roads, into public transport alternatives. At the Taxpayers Union, we've got a fairly fo- a strong view. If its motor is paying for it, it should be going back into roads. And that was the historical position. The national go- well, successive governments have watered that down more and more. You fill up your... Yeah, you tank of gas, you're now paying for cycleways, public transport subsidies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and we're seeing the results of that. In any case, Waka Koutahi's role is to at least do what they say they're going to do. 63,000, sorry, 63Ks of a 1000 kilometre um, objective. Heads should roll, but they never do, and why not? And you know why? Because there's a huge head office with hundreds of people in it. We've got more managers, so, you know, that's um, that's good.
0: <laughs> more managers. Fleur, what's more effective? Actually putting road medium barriers in or reducing speed limits? Because they've got their reducing their speed limits. They've got that all sorted out. It's sitting on a computer. That's all been done.
1: Yeah, I think we have to do both. And this government is committed to reducing the road toll. And I know that it is sometimes controversial to talk about um, these barriers and also reducing speed limits. But actually, I know people that have lost family members in car accidents, and once that happens to someone, they want to see every measure taken to reduce the road toll and make sure that other families don't go through what they've gone through.
2: Yeah, yeah but we've got third, I mean, the, I, I I can recall the first ever um, job I had working for an MP. Uh, he'd be in his sixties now, and he made it. I overheard him make a comment that in my lifetime there won't be a decent road between Wellington and Auckland. I'm 36, and I'm starting to think the same thing, you know. And you you go around the uh, the Eastern Bloc in Europe, and yeah, I get that it's there's the big dobs of EU money, but the roads connecting their main centres, the uh, the Wellington is obviously with with um, transmission Gully, You're extremely lucky. Yeah. Um, but have you been on it? Well, no, I haven't been on. Oh it. Oh my god, it, it's I, amazing! It's amazing. I don't amazing. have a car down here anymore because I, I um moved to Auckland, but the the you know, I look at that road between Auckland and Tauranga, which is a main economic thoroughfare, it, it's a national disgrace. That costs lives. The, the economic productivity, but that costs lives too. And you can have it both ways. It's called a decent, a, a decent roading system, and we would make a start on that if we started to at least do what the politicians say, which is road taxes are used for roads.
0: And we on the show, just to, to let you both know, we did something on it a couple of days ago. And, you know, Fleur, you would remember the accidents that used to happen in that old road before. You know, there'd be a story every Monday morning about somebody somebody dying on it. We just don't have – touch wood, touch everything you can. We don't get them anymore. Why? Because we've got a decent road.
1: Yeah, and, and it's a great road to drive on. And you can see the value of that infrastructure investment right there.
0: The Friday Face-Off. Friday face-off. Hot, the Friday face-off. hot and not. Okay, okay. Come on, Fleur, give us your hots and knots. Tell Jordan what he's got to look forward to when he's going to do his hots and knots. Fleur Simons.
1: Well, look, my hot is actually a thing called Move and March, which is a thing that's going on in schools all around New Zealand, which is getting children to find active ways to get to school. So walk or run or cycle or scooter, and they get a stamp for every day they opt for an active mode and it certainly changed the behaviour of my children and I think it's a great thing. My knot is the treatment of the strip club dancers who queried their pay and were sacked here in Wellington. We must do better for them.
0: We've lasted three weeks on this show without mentioning it and everybody <laughs> everywhere I go says when are you going to talk about the poor strippers? So, you know, there you go. We've mentioned it. You we should we bring think. them in.
1: I think we, listeners would be yes. interested to hear from them. <laughs> Did you
0: see Jack's reaction to that? Jordan Williams, you give would, us your hops you, and not. You, your producer's got them on the phone already. <laughs>
2: yeah, yes. <yeah, yeah. laughs> um, uh, the, the hot would be, I've got as we're talking off here, I've got a seven-week-old little boy, a, a second child, and uh, he did more than two hours um, sleep last night, which is a improvement on what, what, what we've faced over the last seven weeks. The low would be the uh, Transport Minister's U-turn in relation to the national land transport focus around saying it's going to be all climate change, climate change, um, then obviously the Prime Minister's office is called and you are U-turning on that um, within 24 hours. The low light for me, though, is there you have a senior minister not understanding how our emissions trading system works. New Zealand has a cap-and-trade system. If you reduce transport emissions because, you say, build more cycleways, those emissions are simply freed up to go elsewhere in the ETS. The cap doesn't change. The whole advice from from the UN is once you've got a comprehensive cap-and-trade system for which New Zealand does, leave it alone. It really concerns me that politicians either lie or do not understand how their own climate change policy works, and then we start to get this sort of stuff, where for much more expensive than than it would have to cost under the ETS, we get sort of top-down approach to... Not just reducing emissions, but how we must reduce emissions.
0: I think we we need to get you back for an hour on that. Uh, It is 10 minutes to 12. Thank you very much, Jordan Williams, for joining us and Fleur Fitzsimons. Uh, I'm sure we'll see more of both of you uh, in the future. Thank you. Debating the good, the bad, the ugly,
2: and everything in between. Friday Face-Off with Quinovic, Wellington's property management experts. Call 0800-QUINOVIC.